Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father Nathan. Father John. Round two tonight. Round two. Fight. So we are, um, here we are back at the uh, Schloss Goebbels, and uh, we're going to try and um, kind of get ahead for the summer and with these podcasts. You know? June is going to be our month. June's the month. We're going to try, yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly going to get going yeah. in May, yep. but June is the month where if we could do back to back to, to back, back, where you would do like a Tuesday night, maybe even a Thursday night, and then another Tuesday night, that's six episodes that put us into eight August. That would be amazing. We oftentimes in the summer kind of with travel and different things. Right. We kind of, things get a little thin. And yeah. then people get testy, don't they? People get very testy when it's like, hey, I haven't seen you in a month. Would you like to podcast with me? Hey, it's like, what's no. up, bro? Great to hear. No, I don't want to. Right. I'm not going to give you the goods just because the people need it. Now we know you have, we have to sing you shanties. That's true. To get you going. Well, I think uh, we're coming off a great topic here. We were just having a little conversation. The young Eusterman who's upstairs uh, watching videos on how to make sourdough. It Making a boule is actually a, a more difficult task than you would realize. What's a boule? That's the small loaf. Uh, and so what? you got to round it so that you create the air pocket underneath. Ah, that's the French. The and then bouillage. you just kind of... You kind of create surface tension so that the top gets a little more it doesn't blow up sounds complicated a la boulangerie a la boulangerie a la discotheque <laughs> for the papa so speaking of food what did you think of um, the first episode of fat salt acid heat heat yeah um, it it's, this is a show on Netflix about cooking it has a lot of very pretty pictures of Food. Be careful, Matt. Christians might be listening. It's fine. A lot of pretty pictures of food and places. Um, the dialogue is interesting. Um, I think that both Eusterman and I, as cooks, would have liked to see a, a little more technical. More. Yeah, I mean Matt. I mean Matt doesn't need Matt Christensen is is a very good cook already. Right. So he doesn't need a whole lot of additional help but like he and Houston and I watch America's Test Kitchen yeah. so we're always trying to figure out ways to do things better Right. this is more like let's celebrate food and the best part of it was them butchering that pig oh man that was crazy it was hilarious yeah no that show just it's great to see Italy but this the I'm excited all for of this plant I mean I love eating these delicious meals but it's like my like what was the word you said at the house meeting today matt father matt and i were both like what is that colander colander he didn't know what a colander was folks could have just said a strainer a pasta strainer pasta strainer that's what it is you use your fancy technical language to intimidate us siri what is a colander A colander is a kitchen utensil used to strain foods such as pasta or rice or to rinse vegetables colander it, is, it is sometimes called a pasta strainer or kitchen sieve. Ah. If you would have said sieve, then we all would have been. Sieve. Right. How do you sieve. say that? Sieve? Kitchen sieve. Well, a sieve is a goalie, right? A bad hockey goalie. Sieve. A shiv is what you use a in sieve. prison. Oh, shiv. Okay. No, sieve is a bad bad goalie. Yeah, sieve. not sieve. Yeah. Anytime we get into French pronunciations like nampareze and uh, mom... Somerset mom. Okay. We just fail. Yeah. It's an impossible Let's language. Let's just stick with German. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. All right. Well. Wow. You were so excited for the banter on the first one, and this one, you're just like, let's just get done with yeah, this. Yeah, you know, it's always short on the second one. Yeah. People should realize this, that follow the back-to-back episodes, the, the banter haters, you're... You, there's not going to be a lot. That's true. There. What do you want? We could talk about Mario Kart, which has been embarrassing. I realized three things about myself since moving here. Three things. Number one, I don't like puzzles. Me neither. Number two, I don't like board games. I do. Number three, I don't like video games. You're not good at them. I am not good at them. I used to be. 
there was a day, and you know, this is the sad thing that happened a couple. We nights haven't ago. played Bond yet, though. Well, Bond, Bond was different, but here's what happened. I have been getting pistol whipped for 20 years by these little punks who went onto the Xbox controllers, right? right. Which are totally different. And yeah. I thought to myself, your genius and your ability, your capacity lies in the original N64 controller. Sure. Once you get that back in your hands, it's all going to come back. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And that completely fell apart this week. Yeah. Because you and Eusterman are freaks of nature. Well, let's just be honest. Uh, when it comes to Smash Bros, Eusterman is a freak of nature. When it comes to Mario Kart, like I exercised sheer alpha male dominance. <laughs> like I actually took Eusterman out with three green shells and then shot a star in the same motion and killed his bomb. It was like, I am a horrible Magical. person. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. These are the things you thank God for at that end of the day exam. And, you know. But see, what you need to do is you need to get Eusterman and I out onto a, on a hockey, hockey rink. Hockey rink. Now we're talking. And be like, I, I literally, I couldn't even skate to the to the wall yeah. before falling. Yeah. Okay. Pretty, we'll plan on that. That'll no, get the, I don't uh, ever want to do that. That'll get the efficacy back up. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I we're limited here, but uh, yeah, the N64. So what happened was um, for Goebel's birthday, 37 years young, the uh, he wanted to play N64, right? Well, and that was what was promised me. Right, and that's what you got. Very kind. Right. Eusterman made it happen, and uh, but it never it hasn't gone away, so it's just kind of worked its way into the fabric of our life here. So once the, once, you can only watch so many episodes of The Office, right? Well, you can watch all nine seasons, and then it's done. Right. Truth be told, I skipped season, like, three, because I was so annoyed with the whole Jim Pam thing that I was like, just get him married already. Well, that's where I'm I, so that's tired where I fell off the wagon 15 years ago whenever this show came out. It was too much. It was just, it, yeah. But the ending was great. The last time I watched a final episode of something with Seinfeld, and that was just... Yeah, but I would love or to, lost. I would love to watch Seinfeld again. Yeah, that that has its own unique charism to each episode. Well, that's the thing they they're they're fully enclosed in the episode. Yep, the boule, the boule, the boule. Right, the marble rye. It's it's it, it's absolutely genius. There's nothing like it. But I Buy don't know. It, you old bag. I think that these people, most people like the, they like the people and the story and the romance. By the way, our condolences to the Jerry Stiller family. Jerry Stiller, yep. One of the finest uh, characters on all of the offices. Exactly. Uh, I mean, Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yeah. Mr. Costanza. Right, absolutely. So. That's right. So, we do, we do what we can, right? See, we bantered enough. Now the banter haters are officially hating. And now we can move to the topic. Okay. We're moving to the topic. Father John cut me off in the last episode because I was about <laughs> ready to make I was about ready to make a beautiful contribution. But right. now I have to remember Do you want to start with that? I don't even remember what it was. It was so beautiful. Just lost. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna read this seventeen page document in my hand. Can't wait just to you. Folks, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. <laughs> Very funny. Okay, so I do. Uh, Who's the article by, John? Father John? <laughs> I wrote this. Oh, you just, wrote it. I wrote this. That's helpful. This is all I do, okay? Who did you want to print that article for, <laughs> for you? Yeah, we learned a lot about uh, what do you call it? Emotional liturgy. Yeah, from that day. First day in here. The we have a lot of needs. And one of the needs that when you have a stupid academic friends who come in, they have to print things a lot because you're editing a lot. They need nice Wi Fi and they need blueberries and they need a, a print job on demand. And a lot of coffee. And uh that's that's it. So we got it we got a printer. I went and picked up my printer. That was just a good fraternal moment. That was an honest moment. It was an honest moment. This too is an honest, honest wine, wine. <laughs> Andrew Morris, <laughs> rascal. Uh, well, hopefully this is the you gave him a good uh, porterhouse in the last one. Hopefully this is a nice wine that pairs well with that. Uh, 
Excellent. You like that? I do. Yep. Son of a wholesale meat distributor. When you get tangled with him, just bring up meat, and he's a happy man. Right. So uh, what I told Goble when we were outside, of course, you know, you try and limit compliments on the air, uh, keep it to the banter and right. cutting remarks, you know. True. But one of the things he does well is he takes uh, a, the right size that you can digest in a 45-minute conversation in a way that is actually a conversation. Now, the temptation when you sit and think all day is that you become non-conversational. Megalomaniac. Megalomaniac. There were many, many days, even here, where I don't talk to anybody for the morning. You sit and think. And I sit in the Dungeons and Dragons room, which is actually very conducive to study. Yeah. In the Denny's booth in the back corner and uh, work away. And I finished an article uh, which has a lot of things that I've been thinking about for a number of years, four or five years, many of which I've podcasted on. So I want to kind of make sure that we uh, hit on something here. So you, you hit the uh, hit the horn if you're like, man, we've done this before. It sounds like Jerry Costanza whenever he says um, that uh, for the um, Festivus. George Costanza. Oh, Festivus. Wait, he Costanza. says, Isn't that, what? no, it's what's his name? Jerry Stiller's the name of the guy. Frank. Frank Costanza. Frank Costanza. Estelle. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Frank Costanza says, um, uh, you know, we're going to do the airing of grievances. Right. And I've got a lot of grievances to air. Right. So maybe now this, this is your airing this of grievances. This is it. This is it. Exactly. Festivist. It's Christmas for the rest of us. Okay. So uh, this What's article. title? This article that I wrote is, uh, which I just submitted uh, yesterday to... Um, a journal is called Dependence in a Culture of Self-Creation, hmm. Joseph Ratzinger and the Christian Anthropology of Relation. Hmm. Now, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that a number of these topics have already been covered. This this was written for a medical journal, but they opened it up to theological anthropology, which is how I sl- I'm trying to slip in the door here. But uh, So I talked about... Was it accepted? Well, I just submitted it yesterday. Oh. But uh, hopefully it will be accepted. I'm really, I'm really happy with it. Uh, it's a great, it was a great exercise. Um, I think the biggest thing for it is uh, writing it not for myself or even for the journal, but for the guys who I'm going to give it to next year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach this because this is the fruit of teaching anthropology for the last five months. And I wanted to write something that I could then give to guys and say, okay, let's, let's continue the conversation. So this is coming out of a lot of really interesting conversations that happened with third theology uh, here at our seminary in Denver, and then uh, we'll hopefully kind of continue and deepen. So that's kind of the first thing is that, um, but basically I don't want to talk about the whole paper because that would take forever and be Because you'll all read it. Because you'll all read it. No, they probably won't. But if you're interested, you know, we'll see if we can get it to you. Well, if it's accepted. If it's accepted, exactly. So. So what I'm going to do here is uh, I'm just going to pull three quotes from, and I hope that I haven't talked about these before because they've been so kind of impressed in my uh, experience of the last few years. That, uh, But just three three different points from, which I think are some of the best salient quotes, as Michael Kovaleski would say. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you remember that? This yeah. guy in seminary would hand out salient quotes from Mother Teresa at breakfast, and they were like, you know, why – the greatest evil in the world is receiving communion on the hand and this <laughs> insanity. But um, so salient points for you. Uh, but but before we do that, I just want to start with, have you ever heard of uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's play, No Exit? Have you ever heard of this before? I've heard of it, yes. The existentialist John, Jean-Paul Sartre wrote this in 1943, I believe. And uh, it's basically about the story of these people that are um, on the stage and they're trying to kind of figure out and understand where they are. Where they are, but uh, the story goes that they're in hell and that they are stuck together. They can't get out. There's mm-hmm. no exit. That's right. the point. And the most famous line from this play is, "Hell is other people." Hell is other people. Yes. So you can see how this plays well with your. I felt that community podcast. We've all felt that, right? Of course, not with each other, but you know, hypothetically. Now, in in Sartre's defense. Um, that line has been taken out of context a lot. It doesn't just mean, you know, we hate other people and other people are horrible. It, it's it's grounded in the framework of his existentialist philosophy, which basically means that in the encounter with the other, there is uh, an essence that is imposed upon me, okay, so that I am something to you. 
and I am something to myself in relation to you. And so if I'm trying to free myself of an essence, then I have to get away from other people. Hmm. Okay, this is, this is kind of complex stuff here, so we're not going to focus on that. But the point of it is the other, the experience of, an other, of the other person who I am, find myself in relationship with is detrimental to my freedom and ultimately to the hmm. uh, the project of what we're going to call self creation. Sure. Yeah. So I think there's a. I think that the, the Marxism. I can see why this is very attractive. Yeah. Existentialism. Uh, this is just in the. It's in the air that we breathe. Um, and the the thing that I'm really interested in right now, and uh, Robert Barron is probably the best Catholic commentator who's kind of put his finger on this. He's talking about this a lot. Is the culture of self creation. All right. So how did we get to a point where all of a sudden this, we, we don't even talk about the gender movement, we talk about the gender moment, you've heard this, where all of a sudden just like gender became this fluid thing. Ta-da! But all of a sudden it was just like, and, 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 and the scary thing is that Westerners just universally accept this as just like, oh yeah, of course, you know? Yes. Jordan Peterson's railing against this but uh, and others, but you have to say to yourself, how does that just happen where all of a sudden we can take an aspect of our existence and just say, we actually respect, and in order to quote-unquote love, we have to respect other people who get to define that aspect of who they are in their completely own way, even if it doesn't make any sense biologically, or if it is completely incongruous with all of Western civilization and the experience of humanity. But we've done this with more than just gender exactly. already. Exactly. So gender's not the problem. Gender's a symptom of a culture of self-creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those of us who might say, oh, I don't I don't embrace gender ideology, but we live day-to-day life <clears throat> in this culture of self-creation, we're part of the problem. And I think we all do this in, in really different ways. And so what this paper reflects on, basically, dependence in a culture of self-creation. The problem here, the prob- what's missing when we espouse this self-creation mentality, that I get to wake up and I get to, term- I get to determine who I am, everything about what I do, who I am, the way I get sure. to be. Um, what we're missing is the concept of dependence, which we're going to talk about is Rats- Ratzinger is the man on this, and he's so good. And that's what we're... That's what I'm kind of unpacking here. Ratzinger says that dependence is the basic truth of the human person. That's a pretty staggering line. This is the basic truth. Hmm. So what does it mean to be a human person? It means to be dependent. Yeah. Creature. To be a creature, exactly. So that's the first question. is like, what do you mean by dependent? What does that exactly mean? Well, dependence in this sense means a creature or a limited, right? I have limitations. Yeah. I have a nature that was imposed, that was not imposed, but... Given. That was given. Right. Yeah. How strange to think that I get to create myself when I didn't create myself. Right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the crazy paradox of our postmodern world. Hmm. You didn't create yourself. You received yourself. Yeah. And the, the Christian ethos in this is that for that reason, your life is not your own that you are utterly dependent. How is it that we are sitting here today? How is it that we exist? Where did we come from? Well, we didn't give ourselves life. We can say, ah, biologically came from parents. Okay, whatever. What is sustaining us right now? How is it that you and I are existing, that we're being right now? Love to get, I love, I wish we could just import Terry and Susan Selner right right now into this room and just be like, talk about metaphysics. Which Balthazar makes this great. But she would talk about metaphysics and he would talk about Sartre. Right, exactly, exactly. But um, Balthazar has this great line where he says, Christians in the modern world have to be the guardians of metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Metaphysics being the study of being, which we also call ontology. Right. That, be, that the human person, the, be, the human being, is not just a complex organism. You're not just a, an assembly of cells that just exist, and that's why you exist. You are so much further beyond that and there's these things consciousness rationality freedom that structure us and actually give us the ability to define ourselves right 
So there is kind of a self-determining aspect in Define all this. Define or realize. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But they give us the feeling that we're doing that, right? My dog, Niblet, who lived to eat Niblet. and sleep, was not con- interested in the culture of self-creation. She was not con- interested in that. So mm-hmm. there's something about distinctive of the human person. So for from the Christian perspective, we call this, the answer to this is, of course, that there's something called a soul, which is a spiritual reality, not a physical one. Cannot be understood scientifically. And created. And immediately created by God. Right, but not, but not in the sense that it was already there and then God used it. Exactly, exactly. So God immediately creates the human soul, right? When I'm sitting with Boss Baby, Micah, or I mean um, Caleb, 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 age two, and he's, he's big into like, sucking on ice right now and we're trying to do all this social distancing it's mother's day and he's just got this ice cube and he's sucking on it. And he just walks over to papa's drink and just goes boom just right in there spits it in. alpha move you know he's already learning but he is god created in that moment of his conception uh created a rational soul and that soul is the source of a unique ability to like you said realize in himself through his freedom who he was made to be mm-hmm. that's a that's the fundamental and the essence of christian anthropology right there but that requires that we understand the human person as radically dependent well it's interesting that we do this with every other element it's understanding science is understanding the nature of things what is the property of atoms? What are the properties of food that you can manipulate to make them do certain certain things? But for us, since we have since we have a rational soul, we think that we can actually determine it instead right. of being created, we actually need to just realize it. Mm-hmm. And so if we were going to s- distill down what is self-creation, it is a culture that says, and, and a worldview that says, my self-fulfillment is rooted in my self-determination. Yeah. I get to decide what it means for me to be happy. Everything is about the self, right? And so this, you see how this is playing into this infantile narcissism, right? It's just like there in a culture of no wonder why it's just we're breeding narcissism because we're living in, we're already just espousing this sense of like, I get up in the morning and I do what I want to do. I get to decide who I am. I get to decide if I believe in God. Like what an absurd question in one way. I mean, in one way, it's a very, very important question, but it's an absurd one to frame it as me, tiny little human being, right? Who's going to live for a few years in a universe that is 13.6 billion years old, get to decide if there's an origin to my being or not. Like, there's just no sense of reverence or humility or it's just, I get to decide that. And, and at a certain point, if somebody is so into this, it, it, you, you actually don't know how to engage it. The, the question of the existence of God, which is rationally de- demonstrable, is also one that just, at a certain point, you have to kind of step back and say, we actually don't get to decide if God exists or not. And we, 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 that's beyond us. Yeah. Now, thank God that there was something called revelation where God revealed himself. And we know that God exists from creation, but we also know we have, we have a deep sense of who he is. And we've been reading in these last few uh, days, John chapter 14, which is just unbelievable. Uh, and if there's one thing I could recommend doing while you're quarantined, while you're kind of, you know, uh, isolated at home a bit, it's read John chapter 14, read it slowly and look for this. Because what you're seeing is that God reveals himself as a relationship. And what he reveals himself, Jesus reveals himself as in total dependence on the Father. I do nothing of my own. I do only what the Father tells me. Yeah. Well, there's a primacy. I mean, there's he's begotten. The Son doesn't beget the Father. Right. You know. And this caused huge controversies in the early church. I mean, you know, you see where Arianism, which said that the Son was not God, um, that he was kind of this lower being, you can see where they're grabbing these things when he says, the Father is greater than I. What does that mean? Well, there's one essence to God. There's one nature, but the, the, the persons are different. God, the Father is the origin of the Godhead. So this all begins in our understanding of God. 
the understanding of the human person begins in the understanding of God, and God is himself relational, and he creates creation in a relational way, but creation is distinctively dependent on God, but it's created in relation. And the whole point of this article, and I saw you kind of fidget there, so I'll kick it back to you in one second. The whole point of this article is to say, if we want to recover dependence, mm-hmm. we have to under we have to recover what I what I call an anthropology of relation, that we are intrinsically in relationship with others, and that we come to self fulfillment through that, which means that Sartre's conclusion is ultimately antithetical, or you can even say antitheistic, from the Christian perspective of what God is. Well, I would the only, the reason why I flinched is that you said that. It, it all begins in our understanding of God. And I think what that contradicts what you said in first is it all begins in our understanding of ourself. Because, uh, you know, Thomas says, nothing is known but that through which is perceived first in the senses. Mm. So our senses actually help us to see and perceive what is the world around us. The temptation is to say, I am, in fact, God, and I'm independent, when, in fact, if you perceive deeper, even through kind of rational discourse, one can see through senses that I am not the center, there is another who is before me. So it it begins in the person, but then from there, it goes it goes to God. Yeah. What, what Caleb is kind of coming to a realization of is, I am. But then coming to a, a belief that I am helps us to see that I'm not the only one who can say I am. There is a relationship. Like, he comes to light in the fact that there is Micah. Right. The great one. <laughs> the middle. Anyways, no, yeah, but then no. but I, I go back to this quote from uh, Bonhoeffer. Who says, uh, you know, our our world has kind of uh, struggled with the the temptation to say cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. What it needs to appropriate is the reality that it's cogitor mm. ergo sum. I am thought of, therefore, I am. So we first realize I am, but then there's something before that that actually says, whoa, like. I exist in relationship. Oh, this is where we need the rights, because that was a 20th century Thomist. I don't think it was Etienne Gilson, but that's exactly it. I am thought, therefore I am, mm-hmm. instead of I think, therefore I am. Yeah. That's 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 it, the Koji so, But do you see, I mean, like, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to ruin your article, John, because I don't write articles. I play Koopa Troopa Beach. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... But I think that it, it begins, the priority is actually in the individual. Right. Because that's where our, our sensible experiences come from. But then from there, we can't, just, we can't just stay in that place and say, great, I've determined that I matter. That's the only thing that matters. I matter. But the, but the Christian is the one that actually perceives that and then begins to see, and others matter. And ultimately, others matter because there is another. Right. So, and I think that the question becomes: If you're standing on a mountaintop with another person, let's say it's just a you lost me. Okay, no, sorry, Mount Evans. You drove to the top. Got it. Okay, and uh, you're standing up there with a person who just kind of your typical postmodern, you know, um, and they are in a in a culture of self creation, and you're staring watching, at their phone, and you're watch yeah, probably, but you're watching the sunset. How do you get somebody to the point to say? this is gifted hmm. and that this is actually beyond me and that that's better than my self-absorbed culture of self-creation. That's, that's the question because you're totally right hmm. in saying creation itself, everything in creation speaks of yeah. what we're talking about. Everything in creation talks about the, the beauty of dependence but modern man is absolutely convinced that the dependence is antithetical to freedom. That if, this is Sartre, if freedom is dependent, then it's not free. Sure. And so that's, that's the question. You two standing on, on the mountaintop looking out and, and experiencing beauty and saying, and you're looking at it in a completely different way. Yeah, I would, I would go back to receptivity. Like, beauty is a gift that has to be received. So... 
yeah, this you feel something, but it's because of the reality that's in front of you that is drawing you towards it instead of you just appreciating it. Yeah. You don't just, and nobody's standing in front of a dung heap and saying, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Thank God that that squirrel left that scat right on the parking lot. But when they when they gather in front of something that really is captivating, we realize that I didn't do this for myself. I am receiving this. I am receiving this beauty of another. Uh, and the, the task is to say, uh, they created it in some sense for me, but yeah. not just for me, but for others. Right. Well. But also for you, and that's a, that's an important part of it. Yeah. Recep- so I don't, yeah. I don't, know. I don't Re- know what I would say to that. Receptivity, I think, has to be the hallmark of the Christian in the postmodern age. It's not as much. We see us doing a lot of things, uh, trying to evangelize the world, trying to kind of bring, but but Christianity has been just just been discarded. I mean, right now in Colorado, there are hundreds of people pouring in and out of liquor stores, which keep going to Heritage Liquor, by the way, because we support Phil Bartline. And, uh, uh, but churches are absolutely limited down to 10 people. Now, why are politicians making these decisions, you know, where you can go to Sam's Club and have hundreds of people in there and you can't, and Joan of Arc can have 10 people in the church? Yeah. Why is that happening? Well, it's because that's what people want. We need our marijuana. It's not wants, it's needs. Right. These are essentials. Right. These are essentials. We're we're equating a haircut, a manicure, a joint, and a fifth of whiskey as essential. Right. And we're actually saying education, spiritual development, spiritual well-being, and even community, even relationships. Right don't have as much meaning and it's problematic for sure so i think that the yeah that receptivity has to be i preached about this on sunday to my 10 faithful people at sacred art of mary they were great it was actually it was really edified being with them but i just think that the we have to become more marian in the midst of this pandemic and to be marian means to be receptive but the deeper thing beneath Receptivity is unintelligible unless man is intrinsically relational. Yeah, can you explain the relationship between recept your understanding between relationship re- receptivity and dependence? Yeah. Cuz that's the title of your article. Not receptivity Rel- but dependence. Relation- relationality and dependence. I actually had a whole section on re- receptivity. Oh, really? I cut it though cuz it was it was already oh, too come long. Come on. Come on, man. No, you're right. I think that receptivity is the that's the posture and that's Mary. And, and that's how creation needs to stand. When, when creation is authentically itself and in, in, in freedom, so as human beings, in freedom, choosing our dependence, it's receptivity. Mm-hmm. It's that I don't start my day by deciding what I want to do because I'm not God. I start by receiving the gift of my being. And then I attempt to receive everything that I go through my day. I mean, think about yeah. this. I, I was really blown away by this. A friend of mine said this to me recently. They said, in many ways, the, the, the sign of health, and this is from a psychological perspective, is the ability to receive people as they are and not to get caught up in our codependencies, in our resentments, in our bitterness, to not control them, but just to receive people as they are. And I, I, I heard that, and I was like, I want that. I want to live that. I don't live that. But just to, you're in a bad mood. You're like an urukai at breakfast, and it's like to be okay with that, to be actually be able to receive that. That's just a hypothetical. That would never happen. But, you know, just putting that out there. Moving on. <laughs> so anyways, that's the, uh, so I think that receptivity follows out of it. But but what I'm interested in and really concerned about is going back to Sartre, hell is other people, that other people infringe upon by their looking at me. Because you, even tonight, you said something to me. You just said something. And and it actually changed the way I was thinking about a situation with a friend of ours. And I was like, yeah, that's actually right. And I think that I, it, it like it just shifted my thought. And that's exactly what Sartre is, is going after and saying, that's bad. But that's not God. Right. God would never change his thought. 
you have to preserve what you believe is real, and you don't need to learn anything from me. Right, right. But that's the scary thing is to say, like, I actually, in a, in a rare moment of receptivity, said, oh, you know what? I think I misunderstood that, and, uh, and that, makes, that makes more sense. So part of this, tying this back into your, converse, into your last podcast, we're living in a house, five priests, uh, which we're trying to make a school of love and grow in emotional literacy, literacy and uh, healthy conflict. What was the other one? Honest communication. And honest communication. Really what that means is that we're trying to live in a way that says we're dependent on each other because we're dependent on God. Yeah. Because there's a source of my being that's not me and I've been placed in this set of circumstances where I find myself for one month living with four other priests, some of whom I'm friends with, some of whom I'm not, and saying, this is precisely the set of circumstances that's providentially ordained, meaningful, and that is exactly the forum by which I come to my self-fulfillment. But not as me, but as this crazy arena of personalities and you know, a weakness and sin, but also of love and sacrifice and, and service. It, it, it changes the, it changes the whole way you think about things. Yeah. And I think that a, a lot of people in our world and a lot of Catholics, they say, yes, yes, yes. Relationality. God is Trinity. Um, yes, we're dependent on God, but we don't live that way. And we don't live that way with our family. And that's why our marriages and our presbyterates fall apart because oh, yeah. we choose ourselves over others and we just refuse to like if i wake up tomorrow and say i'm not dependent on nathan goble or dan Eusterman or chris hellstrom or matt hartley i'm going to do whatever i want to do today yeah because that's what freedom means that could be that's a very dangerous thing and i will do that in some ways yeah and i would say i would say that husbands and wives have to re-examine their understanding of reality more so than celibate priests, unless they're living in community. Right. Because, like, they may say, you may think that's the world that you're living in, but it's not It's not going to happen. Right. You know? Whereas I can pretty much make whatever I want happen because I'm the master of my domain. Right. Master of my circumstances. I decide when I, when I work, how I work. When I ate my muesli, yep. I, where I cut the banana in half every morning. True. I made I made a I made a poor choice, folks. Father Matt Hartley bet me a dollar that Father John would not come back and eat the half of the banana that he left on the grouping of bananas, the bunch of bananas. So he cuts the bottom half of the banana off and goes about his day. And Father Matt said, I'll bet you a dollar that he doesn't come back today and eat that half of the banana and i said well he doesn't eat the banana for any other meal but breakfast so he's not gonna eat it today he's gonna eat it tomorrow he goes he goes no he has to eat it today and i was like eh, i don't know but he ended up coming back and eating the banana ate the banana for yeah. the afternoon apparently, how was i supposed to know apparently that's a very strange thing to do but well for a lot of people yeah they just eat the whole banana but what it was what it was pointing at was we actually don't know each other well enough to be able to guess what will happen? Right. It's a strange thing to do. I, I, I think that this is precisely why it's so destructive for priests to live alone. If, if right. we say that dependence is the basic truth of the human person, why would it ever be a good idea, except in extraordinary situations uh, with men tested for decades in the, in the life of this. Why would it ever be a good idea to throw a 27-year-old guy into a rectory and say, okay, figure it out on your own? Because the first thing he's going to lose is a sense of dependence. Because you can show up in a parish office and be professional and check in. And I actually find this. I'm like, it's been very interesting going from being a house father to being a brother in a house. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. It's a lot easier to be the boss baby. That's right. <laughs> and to just... It's a totally different relationship, and my guys made my job very easy. But I'm like, we're brothers here, and uh, we're some of us aren't friends, and uh, but we depend on each other. Like, I don't just depend on you because you're my friend. 
but I depend on the guys that I live with because this is right. the circumstances that I find myself in. And, and so it's just it just shows again how absolutely insane it is. And don't even get me started on this topic again. That we're th- we, the whole culture of priestly life is presumes that individuality is fine and that guys are okay without actually depending on their brothers. But that's what I was saying about your friend earlier that you that you mentioned. I have no idea who this is, but it's like you live alone long enough and you start to believe that you're holier than you actually are. Right. And you need relationships. You need to fight for relationships. I'm not saying that you have to move in with somebody, but you have to be able to share life in such a way that you render yourself capable of being able to say, I actually don't know everything. Right. I'm not a god. Right. I am dependent. So that friend and I, that friend actually read this article and we had a really good conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And we both realized that if you want to destroy this, go to grad school. Go get a doctorate where you sit in your room every day and do your thing and live your life. And you, I mean, it, it was, it's been a, it's been quite a, uh, a reawakening to my, my own humanity coming out of this. So it's not sure. just the circumstances that we get thrown into. It's the choices that we make. Okay. So we need to be, we need to realize our dependence on each other, but not in a way that's codependent. That's the other thing where we need each other. You know, there's a weird sure. kind of psychological grasping, right? That's actually self-possession. And a lot of times co- codependence is a kind of self-creation, Right. That's not true dependence. Well, it's I create the world that's comfortable for me. Exactly. And you're going to be what I need. And I'm not going to be okay unless you're okay because we need each other because I need you to be for me what I need you to be. Right. Right? So you can't be an urukai at breakfast because I need you to be this for me. Right? Right. And that's that's rooted in this kind of self-creation. And I think, you, as you said earlier, that's what's missing there is receptivity, true receptivity. I can't receive reality as it is. We haven't even gotten to the four points that I wanted to make. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're making headway. We better do it quick here. So the first one. You're going to have time? All right, I'll cut the first one. We'll go to the last part. We haven't it. even gone to the first one yet? <laughs> no. Okay. We just did the title? Well, we've covered them. We've talked about them. Why don't we do this? We'll cut the, we'll cut the first two because we've already talked about them. And uh, we'll just do two, two last ones and then we'll call it. Have I talked to you about Albacete's Holy Thursday meditation last year? No. In the Magnificat. Do you know Lorenzo Albacetti? Obviously. That's you guys my were separated from birth. <laughs> I wish. This is a guy who loved um food. Oh, yeah. But um Smoking. Curse, no, yeah. Oh yeah. Curse words. Yeah. What's the name of um <laughs> uh Long John Silvers? What? Oh yeah, he loved I lunch. hate that place. <laughs> he loved Oh my gosh. I heard that from Father Dominic. That's uh, where we're in Florida, who was a friend of his. He no. loved Long John Silver's, Bart. and yeah, he was he he pulled out a he was giving a talk at Notre Dame on the stage. Mm-hmm. You know that story, and he lit up a cigarette, and they said, "Sorry, you can't smoke." And he said, "I have a dispensation from the Vatican." Exactly, <laughs> love it. Fun fact: the oldest woman ever lived from Provence, France, mm-hmm. died several years ago at the age of 122. Wow! Smoked two cigarettes a day. Two, two. Okay, there you go. This is from Albacetti. I love this. And and forgive me if I've talked about this before. He says, this is on Holy Thursday, okay? So he's talking about the temptation in the garden. There's only one temptation. All particular temptations are expressions of this one primordial temptation. This is the temptation to believe that the fulfillment of the desires of the human heart depends entirely on us. Dependence on others leaves us at the mercy of what we cannot control. Therefore, we are, re- we are tempted to reject all forms of dependence. The most radical form of dependence is love. Therefore, the whole temptation is to deny that our existence is a pure and perfect gift of an infinite love that deserves to be loved in return. That's from his meditations in the garden, right? Right. The fullest revelation that God is love is the incarnation of Christ. Therefore, the primordial temptation is to reject the incarnation and its consequences. That is worth a lot of time and a lot of prayer thinking about. The primordial temptation is the f- that the fulfillment of the desires of my heart depend entirely upon me. If we reject our fundamental dependence, right. and I mean 
not intellectually rejected, but existentially don't live according to it. If you're not praying, you're not living independence. And if you're not living in dependence, then you you depend on yourself. And that's the fundamental temptation of every human person to believe that the fulfillment of my desires uh, depends entirely on me. But I, I would say that that's how people approach their vocation so often, yeah. which is I've got to figure out what I want. And right. once I figure out what I want, I'll know what to do. Right. And it's like, you actually just need to realize what's already been written into your soul. Right. If you do that, then you're you're playing out what God has intended from all creation. And you're realizing something that was already there instead of coming to coming to appropriate what is not there, but you have to make happen. Right. There's a great uh, image from Von Balthasar. He comes back to this often in the Theodrama where he talks about the script. You're given a script for your life. And you, you act it out on the stage of the Theodrama. But you don't get to just create the script. And your human fulfillment, the desires of your heart, correspond to living that out, knowing what that is mm. and understanding what that is. And I tell you what, if you start to pray, it's infinitely more beautiful and complex and mysterious than anything we could ever imagine right. or create for ourselves. Right. And so, I, I, yeah, I think that the... Uh, yeah, it all comes back to dependence. And and this is the response. Alba said he put his finger on it. This is the response to Sartre because what Sartre misses is that dependence is love and that freedom is more free in love. And so when I find myself in relationship to the other, here's Father Nathan looking at me, telling me this is saying this and it impresses itself upon me, you know. So bad. Which many times it is bad, but, you know, <sighs> tonight it was... It was good. This is where we have to say to ourselves, no, that's that's an act of love. And more than your love, that was an act of the love of the Father being communicated through you in this strange providential moment sitting on your patio where you made an off-the-cuff comment that said that possibly has changed the trajectory of the next year for me. That's that's a that's a that's the conviction that things are meaningful and that if we learn receptivity again, and we entrust ourselves to the natural dependence, the basic truth of our human existence, then things are going to look better than us trying to depend on ourselves to fulfill the desires of our hearts. I say this all the time. That's what that's what people people ask, like, when did you realize that you were called to be a priest? I'm like, when I stopped telling my when I stopped telling when I stopped trying to tell myself that I was called to be married. Yeah. Because I was trying to tell myself this is what will make you happy. This is what will fulfill you. This is what everybody says is going to bring joy into your life. And I tried and I tried and I tried and it didn't work. And then eventually God was like, hey, would you would you mind testing it? Just trying this, you know? And I didn't create this for myself. If I would have created it for myself, we would not have a celibate priesthood. It, it wouldn't work. Polygamous priesthood. Polygamous priesthood. <laughs> My next band name. <laughs> But, I mean, you're realizing something that someone else far greater than you has created for you for your ultimate happiness, for your ultimate good. And it's not always perfection, joy, you know, delight. There's a lot of suffering and pain and difficulty to arrive at these moments. But then in in these limited times, you're like, that's exactly what I wanted all along. So, absolutely. Dependence is the basic truth of the human person. I think this pairs well into what Casey's saying. It's a bit more abstracted. Casey, Napple, and, you know, we arrive at the very beginning, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. The song that has changed my entire quarantine, folks. Here's your, here's your, here's your little penance, other than reading John's article, which I will have to do, too. Um, is uh, listen to the song Touch by Daft Punk featuring Paul Williams. And uh, he says at the end, um, if love is the answer, you're home. Hold on, hold on. If love is the answer, you're home. If you get to that point where you say love is the answer, you, you found it. 
But if if there's a, any other answer, it's not going to work. That's actually what's going to animate the rest of your life. A dependence on another, not just yourself. Touch. Death Sweet pump. touch. You've almost convinced me I'm real. That's it. Daft Punk is the definitive answer to that's start. what I mean. Hopefully, he puts yeah. that as a footnote in his article. We'll see. That's it. We're calling it there. We'll listen to the other three points at I'm another. Sure, podcast. you will. No, we covered him. We, we covered him. We covered him. We covered him. So it's good. That's it. Thank you. We did it together. We did it together. That's the reason why we do this podcast. It's not just one guy. It's two. We're dependent on another. We're in relationship. That's right. Well said. You got any shout outs? Um, gosh, I know somebody asked for one. Hang on. Well, I'll start here. Okay, go ahead. Do you remember Ellie Reinhardt? Here we go. There we go. Yeah. Do you remember Ellie? She came to the solar eclipse with us. Yes. Little blondie from uh-huh. Minnesota. Yeah. One of my college students. Her dad, John, is a great guy, great skier, and uh, he's listening to the podcast, so I want to give him nice. a shout out. John Reinhardt, you have some wonderful daughters. You've done a great job. So. Shout out to them in Minnesota. So I just found out today that uh, one of my parishioners got deployed uh, to an undisclosed location, um, and uh, I was able to download Signal. Are you familiar with Signal? No. It's an encrypted uh, text service and phone service so that the government or other people can't track it or whatever. Um, but uh, he asked me to download it so I could communicate with him when he was when he was in his uh, nice. military assignment. So... Uh, so this is Stephen Foodie, who married. Can you Sa- say this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Stephen and Sarah. So Sarah is is his new wife. They've only been married for like eight months, and uh, he got deployed. And uh, they are a beautiful couple. And uh, I I I I was meeting with them before he got deployed, and I was like, here are the things that I'm going to recommend to them. And uh, one of the things was, you guys need to get into letter writing. And already, like, Stephen writes a, a letter to Sarah, like, regularly, wow. telling her how much, you know, he cares for her or whatever. Um, so Sarah's sad. So uh, Stephen got deployed. Uh, but uh, Stephen, before he left, told me that his own mother listens to the podcast and was elated that... Uh, uh, like I was preparing him for marriage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, to Sandra Foodie uh, in, gosh, Lombard, Orland Park, Lombard. I don't know where they're from. <laughs> Darn it. Um, West Side of Chicago. Exactly. They're from some suburb, but uh, she listens to the podcast, so uh, they were very happy that I might give her a shout out. So, to Stephen, uh, thank you for your service to yep. our country. Uh, to Sarah, thank you for the service that you give in being uh, devoted to him in this time. Um, and to Sandra for uh, the prayers that you offer for your son uh, while he's deployed. Thank you. Very nice. Here we go, folks. That's it. That's the end of our evening. We are going to call it. Uh, thank you. This is Catholic Stuff Podcast, gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook. We have an Instagram account. Uh, we like certain cat videos. Um, we have recipes to share, secrets to give, and uh, hearts to behold. 